This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. I've often heard that our role in learning development is to make learning easy. What if that isn't the case? What if the opposite was true and that good learning should be hard? Well, today we've invited Julia Phelan, a learning engineer who has done a fair amount of research on this very subject. She discusses the challenges of learning, creating safe spaces for people to make mistakes, and how we can better partner with leadership to ensure that we provide the right kind of support for learning in this new workplace of ours. It's a super fascinating subject full of tons of information. So buckle up, folks. This ride is going to be fun. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott and Dan are making it lots of fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you with turning the fabulous learning nerds. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another exciting episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Coach Judy. And with us tonight, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh, yeah. Mr. Coonrod. Hey, Scott. You're not going to ask me how I'm doing, are you? No, I've learned my lesson. Uh, how are you doing, sir? Well, sir, I think you could probably say I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm doing all right. Like, things are good. Ah. Ah, uh, uh, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> so you're not fair to Midland. No, I'm I'm always fair to Midland. I can't lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we're still looking for input, folks. Like, if you know exactly what Dan the ha- the man means by fair to Midland, please email us at learningnerdscast at gmail dot com. And uh, once we get your emails, we'll be sure to uh, read them on the air, and uh, that'll be a glorious thing. We should probably have a fair to Midland um, convention. What do you think? Like a I, gathering I, of sorts. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. That'd be tough. That'd be super tough. I, I think it'd be good. I think it'd be good. I take that back. I'm going to retract that, and I'm going to say I think it would be good. Okay, that was a journey. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what um, our other co-host would think about something like that. Uh, Miss Abby Dawson, everybody. Abby. Hey, Scott. Uh, Fair to Midland Fest. Yes or no? You know, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And the best part would be watching Dan go through those journeys. All through the, t- the the experience, you know how he kind of starts and stops. <laughs> like he goes, and 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 his journey would start with, I think that's awesome. <laughs> every time, it's, every it's time. True story. True I story. Think that's. I think that's awesome. Let me ask you this. I have Go ahead, news, Abby. Scott. Oh, what's your news? 
I have my Halloween costume. Oh, so I'd be pretty excited. Oh, all right, all right, all right. What uh, what is your uh, Halloween costume? Well, you want to talk about going on journeys. My son is three and a half. He wanted me to be a witch. I cannot express to you how difficult it is to find a witch costume for a woman that is neither too uh, not appropriate for kids, like too bar ready or scary. So I had to do some. Uh, I had to get some creativity built in, but I think it's going to be good. Awesome. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Oh, I can't wait. That sounds scary. Ooh, scary kids. Um, Something that's not scary, folks. No, that's a deep cut. Uh, Count Floyd, SCTV. Look it up. Ooh, ooh. At any rate, something that's not scary is our guest, and I'm super excited uh, to introduce to you uh, Miss Julie Phelan. From uh, 211, and uh, we're going to get to know Julia uh, with a little segment we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Julia. Hello. Good morning. Good What's evening. your deal, my friend? <laughs> What's my deal? Well, I am the co-founder of my um, learning science, learning engineering company, 211, which we named, um, we were inspired by, um, you know, it goes to 11 from this is spinal tap. We wanted to go, you know, above and beyond. So we were thinking about, you know, how can we really evoke that? And so we came up with, you know, whatever we're doing, we're going to 11 because 10 isn't quite good enough for us. Can um, I pause you there? Yes. Couldn't you just make 10 louder? <laughs> no, but these go to 11. Perfect. Exactly. That was exactly. perfect. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Julia. Julia and I are best friends now. Continue. <laughs> um, we are best friends. Um, and so, yeah. So I about four years ago, uh, I decided with uh, my co-founder to start the company. I've been doing educational research at UCLA for about... 20-ish years, and I just wanted to, you know, branch out on my own. So now um, we do all kinds of different stuff. We're a sort of a innovative kind of education consultancy firm. We do, uh, you know, studies with people. We help people develop training. We help um, audit and review people's training and learning experiences. We help publishing companies create new and cool, um, you know, evidence-based uh, learning environments and experiences and all kinds of different stuff. But my deal is that I want to help people teach things better and I want to help people learn things better. That's my deal. Love it. That is awesome. And um, again, the, the name of your company is, is incredible and I love it. I think it's totally awesome. And uh, this week, Julia is going to be chatting with us on this whole idea of good learning is hard which I think is so great. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the week, shall we? So Julia, yes. I love your topic. Learning should be hard. I think it's great. And I think that um, a lot of us in instructional design have been brought up the opposite, right? Where let's make this as easy for people to get as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're right. Like good learning needs to be hard. So help us understand uh, this idea uh, of learning being difficult. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, um, like you say, you know, sometimes we get, um, you know, we, we live in a in a, an environment where we're watching videos on, on YouTube and other places and we see people doing stuff. We see people, you know, teaching us things or whatever it might be. And it looks so easy. Right. And, um, you know, I spend all this time watching these people doing like little those little art videos, you know, on like Facebook or places and you watch someone do something and you're like, wow, yeah, like you watch it and you think, yeah, that looks really easy. And I think it kind of lulls us into this uh, sort of false sense of thinking that, you know, learning anything or getting to be good at anything requires like a whole lot of like time and practice and, you know, feedback and all of that. And so I think that when we don't really understand that or embrace that, can lead you a not to be even motivated to even start something but I think it also can lead you to sort of give up too easily right if you think like okay well clearly I can't do this clearly that I'm not that that type of person or I'm not a math person or I'm not a whatever and I think that when you can build a more realistic model like mental model of sort of what what learning really is and really understand that you know, for anyone to gain expertise, it's taken them years and years and years and years of practice that you can, you know, it starts to feel a a little bit more doable and manageable. But also, I think you're just motivated more to even start and persist and put in that effort if you really can sort of realize that, yeah, OK, this is hard, but it's going to be worth it. right? I'm going to learn something cool or I'm going to learn a new skill. What are some of the things um that we want to think about then from a learning design excuse me from a learning and design perspective when it comes to challenging our audience to make it hard well so i think i mean one of the things let's th let's think about you know students studying for example right so when you study as a as, you know you're in college or in a class whatever you're doing you because most of us haven't ever had a, you know, anyone tell us like, hey, here are some of the most effective or efficient ways to study and learn things, right? I mean, I certainly never had that when I was in school, anyone telling me, okay, these are some good strategies or some good techniques, or this is what's going to work better. Um, and you know, maybe some lucky listeners did have that, but I think it's not that common. And so when you don't have something like that, what is easy to do is fall into these sort of habits of studying in ways that feel good, right? And feel easy, right? So maybe you are, let's say you're playing the piano and you're practicing a piece and you there's a part that you know really well, right? And so you're practicing that, feels good, right? You're like playing the piano, you know this bit, it feels really good. You're like, yeah, I've got this. And then you get to a difficult bit and it's like, eh, that doesn't feel so good, right? That Okay, now I can't do this bit, right? And so then what our tendency is, is then just to stop, right? Okay, I'm just going to stop there because, all right, but I was really good at this other part, so I'm actually going to go back and I'm going to play that other part again, right? And so you kind of go this far and then you get here and it's like, yeah, that's just too hard, right? And I think if we can shift that mindset to be like, okay, you know, I don't worry so much about the part that you already know, right? Let's really focus on the part that you don't know. Um, and you know, if you pick up a paper and, and you're studying for a test and you're just kind of highlighting stuff or rereading stuff, again, you get this sort of familiarity. You've got sort of a fluency. You, you recognize what you're reading. You're like, OK, I got it. Yeah. But, you know, a better way to do that, right, would be to say, OK, if you know that your test is going to require you to I don't know, write an essay about something. OK, so flip over your paper and write an essay about something. Right. Do it. Like do the thing that 
you will be doing on the test, you know, as much as you know what that will be. And only then are you confronted with, oh, wow, I really thought that I knew this, you know, when I was like staring at my paper uh, because I had this recognition. But as soon as I flip it over and I'm telling myself, okay, write an essay, pull some stuff out of your head, that's just much, much harder. And what what it really helps us to understand is, wow, you know, we I really thought that I knew that, but actually I really don't, you know. And having that information then as a student, right, can help you say, okay, I thought I knew that. I didn't know that. I need to practice this a bit more. I need to go back to the well and do a little bit more studying. But you don't want that to happen, that realization on your test day, right? Or on the day when you're actually doing something. So it's, I think, helping people to A, recognize and get a bit more knowledge about what some of these strategies that will actually work. And then, you know, giving people ways that they can actually do them, right? So if we're telling people, hey, it's it's a good idea to quiz yourself or something, you know, as you're studying, well, then, you know, helping people figure out, you know, where are some good sets of questions that I can use to study, you know, in that way or things like that. But I think we have to both understand the strategies, but also understand why they work. And again, then going back to our learning is hard idea that if, if I can understand that, okay, this is going to be hard. I need to actually, you know, flip over my paper and write this right down or practice to do what I'm supposed to be doing, then, you know, I think it's just a bit that much more motivating and it's that much less demoralizing thinking, oh, I don't know this, right? You're actually kind of moving, moving forward. I am so fascinated by all of this. I'm a big believer in allowing people to fail during training. Um, I think it's incredibly effective. I've run into a lot of challenges when I've uh, pitched, especially to like um, sales teams and folks who who come to us with training and say, I need it and I need it fast. I need to learn it fast. Um, I have so many questions, but I'm going to try and, and be focused. <laughs> my my biggest questions are around um, how do we set those good expectations with with our partners about what what training will look like, how it will be different, that there will be times where it looks like maybe nothing's happening, but you are allowing people to struggle, maybe even fail. Um, what's the difference between struggling and failing? And how do we show folks, and I know this is a lot, I'm asking like three questions all at once, but <laughs> how do we show folks that the training is not bad, it's just allowing things to be hard? And talk us through kinds of those pieces. And I know I asked a ton, so I apologize. That was bad question asking, but I'm just super excited. <laughs> um, so I think... So I think one of the questions was about you know, building in some more failure and struggle and that sort of thing, right? And I think that when I think about the idea of struggling, I think that sometimes, you know, there are some schools of thought that would say, okay, you know, it's almost like a sink or swim, like, okay, here, just kind of toss you in and, and you'll figure it out and it'll be sort of just you're in survival mode or something, right? Well, I think that is less of a productive type situation with a with a novice, right? If you have a novice person in any training or learning situation, that you, you need to have you know, some foundational understanding of some whatever it is that you're learning in order to kind of move you to the next step, right? So I think just really thinking about okay, brand new person, novice trainee coming in, you know, what is it that I need to kind of help to sort of set the stage, give them some foundation. And it might be, and if you're teaching them how to solve a problem, right, you just have them solve just the first step of the problem, right? Like they're not solving the whole problem because what tends to happen is if you, and again, it could be any type of problem that they're trying to solve, but if you have people 
say, say, okay, you're brand new, I'm just going to have you try and solve this problem, then what tends to happen is that, that they'll kind of like brute force their way through it. Some people might be able to solve the problem, some people might not. But ultimately, even if they did succeed, they don't necessarily know, well, what is it that made me succeed, right? Like, how did I even get there? It's kind of like when you are trying to solve a problem, you know, in your computer or something and something's screwed up and you're kind of doing a bunch of stuff and maybe you solved the problem, but you don't really know how you solved it, right? So you can't repeat that. Like, it's just like, I just kind of got lucky. I pushed the right sequence of, of buttons, but, you know, what is that? You're describing you? all of my tech approach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, those are my approaches as well. But then it's, you didn't learn anything from that, right? Because you can't repeat that. And so I think that's that's what happens when we put um, novice learners in, in that type of environment and say, hey, just kind of go for it, struggle along, because they don't really get to understand, oh, I see, I did this, that led me to this, that led me to this, right? And so I think when we when we build in opportunities for people to fail, it's just important that there are that there's a, a another built-in component to that, which is a, a support and feedback, right? And so it's, okay, let's let's work on this problem, whatever it might be. All I want you to do is solve the first thing or do the first step or something like that, right? And then, okay, now let's give you some feedback. Let's give you a model of what this is actually supposed to look like, right? And so then you can see, oh, okay, here's a fully worked out example or a problem being solved in some way. And all I had to do is do this first step and then you can kind of build up to that. Right. But I think that that normalizing failure or normalizing those types of types of struggles, as long as they are coupled with, you know, feedback that is addressing, OK, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? How can you move forward towards whatever your goal is? And I think the other thing that really undergirds all of this and oftentimes is missing in training experiences is a true you know measurable goal right? that sometimes it's just like okay we know we have to do something you know maybe we've thought about it maybe we haven't thought that much about it and off we go you know rather than thinking okay our goal and in, in this one day of this training let's say or this one week is x and then how can we unpack that and figure out, okay, well, what is it that we're going to need to do to get people to that particular goal? And let's figure out that. Like, what are the what are the steps look like? Because as as experts, you know, we tend to forget all of those steps that take you to developing expertise in anything, you know. Um, and that's a risk because then we can sort of overlook. And again, going back to learning is hard, if we forget all of the time and energy and effort and all the little sort of micro steps it took us to build expertise, then when we're trying to teach somebody something, it's easy to get frustrated, right? And think, well, how come they didn't get it yet? Like, I, I know how to do this. Like, how come this idiot doesn't know? And, <laughs> um, so I don't know whether that addressed any of your questions. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, I, I love the idea of making sure that you've, you've mapped out that process to getting to a goal and clarifying your goal. Um, yeah, that's it's a sneaky. Even, it's easy to to not do those pieces. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, sometimes it's you know, oftentimes you think, oh, I have this super cool activity, or I I have this thing that I want to try, or I or I yeah, I, I love I I get people get really engaged when we do this thing, right? And so, yes, there's definitely room to do things that are just purely to keep people engaged and motivated. But sometimes, 
you know, you you end up with, oh, these are all my favorite activities, but they're not really, you know, sort of, you know, serving my bigger goal, right, of whatever I want people to learn. So again, I think it's just, you know, sometimes you just have to be uh, sort of strict with yourself right, and think, well, you know, am I really, is, is what I'm teaching really, um, you know, aligned to what I want them to learn? And also with the, with the understanding that, you know, we have a limited amount of capacity in our brain, right, to learn new stuff. And so, you know, in any one day or any one training session, you, know, you can't go to a four hour training session and expect people to come out of that having learned every single thing that you want them to learn. So you have to be really intentional about, okay, you know, I've got X amount of time. What are the key things that I want to help people to understand and get? And maybe it's we're going to build on it in a subsequent session, right? But you know, there there are certain things that will be better offloaded to a you know a book or a manual or a website or some other forum. But you know, while I, the teacher, am with the student, what, what's 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 the best use of that time, right? What's the value added of having me here versus you know just giving you a pamphlet? Okay, and really thinking intentionally about that. That's awesome. That's, you know, I, um, you guys were talking about like making safe spaces for failure. And, um, I was at a talk, this is a long time ago and somebody was talking about, uh, basically brains are just like predictive engines and they don't really engage until what they've predicted doesn't happen. What we call mistakes are those things that like trigger like those neuro pathways to start like, Oh crap, I got to remember this. Something went wrong. And now I have to remember this so I can better predict it next time. And it, it goes with so many things. I, I can't tell you, I've actually given somebody the feedback one time, like, Hey, your job this week is to go and make a mistake. And they looked at me terrified. Like I had like, like I was like, you're fired or had said something like terrible. And I'm like, no, really go break something. It won't be that big of a deal. It won't, it won't be so bad. And it'll be good for you to go and make those mistakes. And then we're going to go make some more mistakes. And then we're going to keep making mistakes until we get it right. And I, I love that. I love that too. And I think that when you do that too, you start to, to see, right? Because sometimes you think, oh, wow, if I make a mistake, it feels like it could, you know, it's going to be the end of the world, right? That that's it. Like I make a mistake, I'll never recover. And when you make a mistake, figure out what went wrong, like you said, learn from that and move on, maybe make another one next week or the next day. But you start to see like, oh, okay, I thought that was you know, the end of the world, but it actually wasn't, right? And I was actually able to kind of move past that. And then it starts to be less less daunting right, to make a mistake because you you have some experience with, okay, yeah, I made a mistake, things didn't work out, but actually, you know, I moved forward and it was okay. Yeah. It's really interesting too, because I think a lot of leaders will talk, hey, it's okay to make mistakes. We're going to learn from them and move forward. We're going to move forward uh, with that. As educators, though, I find it incredibly challenging. And Abby, you kind of alluded to this as well that it cre again, creating a safe space for people to learn. Yeah, we get that. Um, making it challenging. Yeah, we get that. Creating a learning with failure built in ooh really scary like oh wow um what do you mean by that? like i have a workshop next week and i'm super excited about we built a curveball in there with the intent that we're going to talk about it and learn from it and i'm i'm a learning nerd so i'm just like bouncing off the wall super excited like these are things that 
I know in our um, intentionally correct or directionally correct, so to speak, but we rarely get the opportunity to do that. Could you talk to us a little bit about how we can um, begin to be thinking about or some of the things from a design perspective and from a facilitation perspective where that can be more applicable in the things that we produce? Does that question make sense? I think so. So you're asking about building building in some of those opportunities. Is that what you're? Oh yeah, about? and to, you know, being intentional around our our failure, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a few different ways to do that, right? Because I think in one case you can. I'll give you an example from my husband that just came up recently. So he is a professor at UCLA and teaches big classes. And during the pandemic, you know, obviously everything's online and. And he talks a lot in his teaching about how you know, he wasn't a particularly good student when he was a, a an undergrad, and he even and he went to UCLA um, as for his undergraduate degree. And when he you know, he was even subject to dismissal at one point because he had been getting such bad grades just because he was too busy, you know, running around doing other things and having fun. Right? And but you know he he pulled himself together, kind of turned things around and ended up going to some awesome schools and getting his PhD in biology and things like that. But, but in that moment, you know, when he was uh, an undergrad, he really was like on the sort of precipice of, of being kicked out. And he tells people this, this, these stories about this. And during the pandemic, you know, so he's on, he's on the zoom. And, and so now, now he's got this environment where students who maybe wouldn't normally you know, raise their hand or wouldn't normally you know, volunteer something, have this little chat window, right. That they can type something into. So it's, I mean, talking about safe space that Dan was just talking about, I mean, it's, it's just a private message to the professor. No one else can see it. You know. And a student wrote to him and said, I really appreciate you sharing this story and being vulnerable, right? And that that it makes me feel that I'm not alone and that 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 you know anything that all these terrible things that I've been feeling that are happening to me, this student, that that I can move past them and that my life isn't over here because I got an F in physics or something, right? And and you know, and it seems like a small thing, him just telling these stories. But I think that those types of things can be really impactful when you actually have these real examples of, you know, and you're not just saying like, okay, everyone, it's easy, to, it's fine to make mistakes, and you know, just saying that, but actually giving a, a concrete example of something that that actually happened either to you or somebody else, and then, okay, what what was happening at the time? What did you do to kind of fix that? And then what was the outcome of that? You know, how did you how did you move forward from that? And it can, I just think, help people see that these things aren't insurmountable, but you don't want it to be just a sort of hallmark card of like, okay, you know, failure is okay or something, you know, because it, just, <laughs> it doesn't feel that real, right? Um, I'm just going to say right now, best hallmark card ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm clearly not going to be a greeting card designer with uh, my- <laughs> no, <laughs> Julia, you are right because it feels disingenuous, right? right. Uh, until the until you actually get the proof of the pudding. So the proof of the pudding in my perspective, just like in your husband's case is let me share you share with you an example that I went through. Or hey, we all went through this. Let's talk about it. What did you learn? How did that make you feel? What could we do to do better? One of the things that I find challenging in almost every organization that I've had the pleasure to serve is this idea that 
postmortems, the where we really do take a look at what we did well and what we could do better are things we talk about but don't actually do very often. And in, I'm ready to pull my hair out. Like I, you know, again, the learning nerd in me is like, I, I want to learn. Like, how do we get better? We're never going to get better until we talk about it. Like, we're never going to get better until we throw our ego out of the room and, and, and we talk about it. So yes, creating a safe space is, is important. Um, but I, I love your example around, hey, let's talk about not just my experience, but what we experienced together with the intent of safely growing and getting better, which is what ultimately I think all of us really want to do. Absolutely. Right. And, and you, you talk about a, a, a business case like that, like, okay, we had a project that let's do a postmortem on that. Like what happened? What, you know, what did we do well? What did we not do well? And you can think about the same thing with students. Let's say they take a test or something, right? That how many students actually then go back and think, okay, let's look at this test. Let's figure out, okay, you know, all of the questions that were about this, I didn't get right, or all of the questions that were this format, you know, I didn't get right, or something like that, right? And then you can start to think, okay, next time, I better focus a little bit more on those pieces, right? Better, or this type of question is clearly challenging to me. I think it works in all contexts, right? That we have to think about, you know, what sort of, you know, how can we treat everything like a formative uh, assessment sort of situation, right? And it could be any anything. But the key thing is we're looking at the information, the data that we're getting back or whatever the finding or the result. And we are thinking about how does that deviate from what we expected, right? And then how can we, what can we do to close that gap in the future? Yeah, and you could apply that to, to any situation, I think. Julia, I love that idea of like types of questions that you failed at. And going back to your um, earlier mention of, of, you know, just in general, that process of like um, students needing like a safe place to to say I I didn't I didn't feel like I could do it or I felt like I struggled here. Um, I found out pretty pretty early in elementary school that I was dyslexic and that I struggled um, to learn in the way that everyone else in my class struggled to learn with. So what where I learned to use failure was to say I'm not going to be able to learn it the way you're teaching it and to and to get comfortable approaching my teachers in that way. Um, how as we as, as facilitators help people recognize our students recognize, I need to say I didn't get it. And I don't think it's because I don't, I think it's, I need it introduced differently. And then how do we meet those needs? I mean, I, I think it's a, it, that, that's one of those sort of million dollar questions, right? Because I think in at the end of the day, every, it would be awesome if everybody had their own personal tutor sitting on their shoulder. Right? And so I think that, that given that we, don't have that and we can't have that, that we just need to think really carefully about different supports and scaffolds that we can that we can give people, right? And and again, I think when we when we think about um like let's say you you have you you're dyslexic or something, that thinking about, okay, well, how can we, you know, what are what are just different modifications we need to give to you, the student, or somebody else to help support you. You know, and, and it may be it's just you know extra practice or it's practice in a different kind of environment or it's a different um, you know um, medium um, that you're giving people practice in. But 
what you don't want to have happen is that that yeah that becomes the reason then that you're not learning something right so you don't want it you don't want that to happen and it's and it's just difficult you know i think that things like um we think about um adaptive learning systems things that are truly adaptive right and, and lots of people use the term adaptive in a way that isn't really real but but when we think about a truly adaptive situation that can be helpful in lots of cases because we can you know allow people to kind of be working towards a, um, a goal of any kind, but they're doing so sort of in their own time, right? Or, you know, so some students, if they're, if they're doing really well and they've just got what, whatever we're teaching them, they'll kind of move through an adaptive system really quickly. While other students, you know, if they haven't, if they're not quite there yet, they'll just be engaging in that thing for a longer period of time. And all of that is helping them learn stuff, right? But so it's just, they, they're going to get to the same point, we hope, but it just might take them a little bit longer. But building in opportunities that might be sort of outside of the traditional class time, you know, can be helpful in that in that way. But it's, I mean, I think differentiating education is just, it's, it's a huge challenge, particularly when you've got, you know, a lot of students that you're working with all at once. Right? So it's, again, just trying to think about ways that you could give students some, um, you know, choices and things, you know, again, when you're staying true to your goal, but it might be, okay, I want, I want you to, uh, create a, a synthesis of all the topics we've been learning about in the last week. And I want you to make a either a video or I want you to make a slide presentation or I want you to give a talk or make a little um, web recording or, you know, whatever it might be that you give people a choice of sort of how they want to present that. I mean, that's one way that you can help people to, again, sort of A, it taps into their interests, but it also might help support students that you're talking about too. I love that. And Scott, doesn't it remind you of Doc Kim talking about his um, comic book lessons where he would let them create anything? I, I love that. Yeah. 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 We need to get him back, but um, I totally agree. Like allowing the, uh, allowing that personal connection with your own learning journey um, in a way that maybe suits the uh, syllabus or curricula in, in any certain way, I think it's really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, and all too often, I think we kind of fail at that and, and it's not our fault, right? We so, so we're so focused on the finish line and I got, you know, um, done is good, right? So we're going to go ahead and get this done, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, love you, uh, Miss Loudon. You know, done is good. But at any rate, um, yeah, it's that how do we make it personal? How do we tell our own personal stories, right? Um, before the show, Dan and I were talking about this idea of hook statements. And, you know, I want to encourage my facilitator to come up with those on their own because they're so much more personal. Um, I, I could give you one. Here you go. Use this, but it just feels disingenuous. But that's an aside. One of the things I love, you are a self-proclaimed learning engineer. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and some of the learning science that, that you wield to make this world a little better place and how it kind of circles back to what we're talking about today? Absolutely. Yes, I think when we think about teaching and learning, there are all sorts of different things that we know about it. There's research and motivation and memory and uh, you know, all kinds of uh, other sort of psychological principles that, you know, we can sort of pull from. And all of that is the, is the sort of learning science piece of it. Right. And I think about it like this, that you're, let's say you're a, a, a designer or an engineer or a physicist, let's say you're a physicist and you're, you're in a, in a, 
a room in a school and you're designing a bridge, right? And so you know all these physical principles that you need to uh, that you need to employ to design this bridge. So you've got a sketch or a model that maybe you've built in your in your nice tidy uh, lab, and that's the sort of learning scientist kind of component that you've you've thought about all these different physical principles. And then now an engineer now has to you know go out into the real universe and build this bridge. And now there's a whole pile of constraints right around that so it's like oh now i'm building this bridge it's you know near water it's this temperature or you know there's there's this amount of wind that comes through here all the time and so now you have all these other sort of contextual factors that you have to take into consideration so understanding those principles is one thing like these physical scientific principles but now the engineer has to consider all this other stuff as well as that to actually build and you know, execute this bridge and so i think when we think about learning it's the same thing we can have this nice understanding of, of cognition and motivation and making learning meaningful but then we have to pick it up and move it out of the lab environment, as it were, and put it into the real world. And now think about, okay, now, what are all the things that I need to be thinking about to make this learning experience good and effective? And so, you know, Dan was talking about, you know, psychological safety. And so, you know, I need to think about, okay, well, you know, what type of students do I have here? You know, what, what else is going on? Are there any distractions that are happening? You know, and so all these different kind of things that are like the, the weather and all these different contextual factors. So I sort of think about it and we can, this sort of harkens back to the, uh, you know, 211, that I think about it like a, a sound mixing board, you know, one of those giant, you know, things that people, you probably have one, you know, like that you're moving things up and down. <clears throat> and so I, I think about it that you've got these different levers. And so you can, you know, you can build an amazing learning experience, let's say, or a class or write an amazing book or whatever it might be but now when you pick up that thing and put it into the real universe now you have to think about okay do i need to nudge up my uh you know teacher presence in this environment or do i need to increase my uh, focus on helping students get a sense of belonging because maybe i've noticed that that's a thing that i'm lacking or do i need to you know try and um, focus on you know extraneous cognitive load because that's something that I noticed that's that's happening here and so it's kind of you're like nudging these things up and down so that's I think the engineering component of it and so it's just really thinking about there's no you know when someone says to me like oh what's the best way to teach someone xyz well it just depends right it depends everyone is starting from a different place everyone has different prior knowledge different degrees of you know self-efficacy different emotions that are in their brains at that time you know different dynamics on their in their home life or a million things right so there's no best way to do anything you just have to consider the context that you're in and so that's really the engineering piece of that can i like steal all that put it on my linkedin i love that <laughs> yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> you know i really do Really, really do love that because I feel like so many people in the learning and development field get this feeling that they're somehow not professionals or somehow not doing a science. And so just to like talk deep about the science of learning, talk deep about being like, hey, I'm a learning engineer. I'm an experienced engineer. Like, I love that. I love that approach. I love that thought. And I think it's something that our industry really, really needs. Mm -hmm. yeah. and it validates the time we ask to give to people, to give to learners, to give to the subjects. Um, 
it's 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 really an important discussion. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just so, and I think I've mentioned this to Scott previously that it's it's. I feel like sometimes you know we we put so much um, emphasis on subject area expertise, if I could just use that term, and then we don't put as much emphasis on you know teaching and learning expertise, right? And so. Why, why would it be that you know, we don't expect someone to you know, roll out of bed a great you know, chemist? Why do we expect someone to roll out of bed and be a great teacher or a great learner, right? And so I think that if we can elevate that to the same level as other things that we, we give more sort of cred to, right, that, that then, then we, we're, we're going to be in a better place, you know, because I think we do a disservice sometimes to, to the whole profession of, of teaching and learning by not really... Uh, sort of recognizing it as its own as its own skill in and of itself. Talk about that intersection between teaching and learning and the workplace. I, I think we're in a revolutionary period for teaching and learning, especially when it comes to the workplace. And it's the Wild West, if I could use <laughs> that analogy, right? Like, no one's figured this out yet, but we're all going to go on this journey together um, and I know you have some really deep, important thoughts about that. So if you could share that, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something I've just been thinking a lot more about recently in a in a more sort of purposeful way that all of the things that, that you know, I'll, I'll give a training workshop on, let's say, helping create a sense of belonging. I'll just use that. And, you know, there are all these ways that as a, in, a, in a sort of traditional educational environment, one can do that. You know, and we could start with a, you know, the syllabus and making sure that you you don't turn people off with your syllabus. And, and, and it's something that a lot of um, educators haven't really ever thought about, but that's a really important component. And so in thinking about that, I just started to think a lot more about, okay, so, you know, now you're a new employee at a new company. Let's say you're doing your onboarding training or something. Well, it's, I mean, it's the same thing, right? You're learning something, you're in a new environment. You perhaps don't feel a great sense of belonging yet, you know, on your first day. And so what, you know, there are things, there are lessons that we can learn, right? From what we know about teaching in a more traditional context to something like that. You know, it's, it's the same thing. We're just a new person coming into a new environment. We don't know anything about it. And there's stuff that we need to learn, right? And so we can build in some of those same things that we think about in a, in a more traditional context into that workplace. Or um, thinking about, you know, I think a lot about this, this idea of, you know, extraneous and intrinsic cognitive load, right? We have only so much room in our brain and we want there to be some cognitive load, but that's the stuff that really is relating to what we are uh, supposed to be doing. So again, in a, in, a, in a workplace context, you can't give someone, you know, 15,000 things all on the first day and expect them to, you know, to take, take much away from any of that, right? But in thinking about, you know, how can you figure out a sort of a, an onboarding or, or program at the beginning of a, of a new job that, that sort of, you know, divides things up into manageable chunks, giving people, you know, chances to have a little win. And, and you know, that and sort of, again, it, it speaks to the motivation and all of those things. So anything that we think about in the, in the sort of traditional learning context, I think is applicable to the workplace. You know, the, the idea of, um, I've been thinking about recently about this, this, you know, you have people who get promoted into new jobs and 
maybe you know they they've worked really well they've moved up they've got up they they get promoted to a new job and now all of a sudden they're supervising people right or they're a manager of someone so maybe they were really awesome at their job which got them this promotion but then do we just expect them to be good at supervising people or good at managing people or good at dealing with that why like why would we expect that but sometimes you know we don't give as much pay as much attention to that and give people training and support. So, oh, this guy's been at the company for X number of years, right? He's excelled and been promoted, but we forget that all of that experience doesn't necessarily mean that that person is going to be a good leader or a good supervisor or a good manager, you know, whatever. And and so we need to be thinking, of, I think, a little bit more intentionally about supporting that because that, again, is a skill in and of itself, right? To to supervise and lead and manage others and there are a whole bunch of things that you need to learn there but I think sometimes we we sort of overlook that too many Michael Scotts out there managing people <laughs> it's a office reference if you didn't get that yep. and oh by the way um I I I think the the, the great learning in Michael Scott is that yeah, over time, I think he got it, right? So over mm -hmm. time, I think he got it. And his heart was definitely in the right place. But he did not have the competency for leadership. And you're so right. Like I talk about this all the time, like the Peter principle, this idea that most leaders have been promoted well above their competency is a very real thing. Um, and part of that is that we don't uh, identify what it, what are the key behaviors that we expect leaders to have and do you have that, those skill sets, those talents, right? And then do we go out and reinforce it, right? And so, um, yeah, no, love it. Could talk all day about that, um, but I certainly uh, don't want to take up any too much more of your time. Um, as we begin to kind of wind some things down, what are some things that you wanted to talk about, Julia, that um, we didn't have time for and or some really key ideas that you want to make sure our audience gets from this very uh, awesome conversation. That if we go back to the go back to the beginning and think about, you know, how learning is hard, but worth it. Right. I think that to me is one of the the most important things that we can really try and internalize that that you know, okay, if we if we have a better understanding, A, of how it works. So I spend a lot of time helping people think through, okay, well, you know, what is what is learning? What do we need to do to really learn things, you to really have learned something? You know, how do we make learning more meaningful? You know, we have to be, you know, any kind of any kind of real learning is going to be effortful, right? So I'll often do these little um exercise it's just like almost like little psychology uh class little you know games and things and and just to try and help people to see that oh yeah if you visualize something oh you know a pair of words or something then you're more likely to remember them than if you didn't do that or you know and just even just simple things like that that help people to see ah yeah if i process information in a deeper more meaningful way if i connect it to that that I already know, you know, all these types of things. If I start to make, you know, comparisons, uh, you know, and drawing analogies and all this type of stuff, that that is, all that's going to do is help sort of solidify everything. And it's moving your, moving whatever you're learning from your working memory to your long-term memory. And I think that, you know, if we can really get 
people to understand. So it's like, you know, looking under the hood, right? Like, and to figuring out like, what is, what is happening when I'm learning something, what is going to get in, what has the potential to get in the way? So you just kind of go in there with your eyes open, right? That, you know, okay, I know that this is going to be tough. So I need to remove all the distractions, or I know that I can only learn this much in this amount of time or whatever it is. But just, I think when you have this realistic view and this realistic perspective, it allows you to just enter into it with um, with a with a different mindset that yeah I'm not expecting to become an expert in anything in half an hour or one day or whatever it might be and I think just even internalizing that is so important. No, I just I love it. I want to read your book. I want to take a class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sign me up, hundred percent. Well, awesome. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do all these uh, workshops all the time. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to send you guys some info. And uh, next time I'm doing one. We'd love that. So Julia, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I've loved this discussion. I, I'm going to be thinking about a lot of what you had to say for the rest of the day, which is a great thing. Could you do us a favor? Um, let our uh, listeners know how they can get more of you. How can they connect with you, Julia? Uh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. And I think the best way to connect or learn more about me and my work is probably on LinkedIn. Uh, and I also have uh, a website, which is 211, but the number like 11, uh, T-O-1-1, and then solutions.com. Um, and yeah, both of those are great ways to, yeah, that's right to get a hold of me. Well, fantastic. Again, I appreciate you coming and sharing uh, the knowledge. I think it's really, really important. Daniel. Yes, Scott. Uh, could you do me a solid and let our audience know how they could participate with us? Nope, I'm not going to do it. No, I'm just kidding. Of course I can. Hey, everybody. If you haven't already, hit us up, learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you may have. Join in the discussion. If you haven't already, we would love to know what your plans for Halloween are. It's fast approaching and we're super excited. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. Like us, participate in the conversation, do all that fun, groovy stuff. Lastly, for all you folks on Instagram, you can find us Fab Learning Nerds. Share any cool pictures you might have, any cool stories. Also, Halloween pictures. We're very interested. Scott? I'm so excited that this podcast has morphed into a Halloween podcast. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I mean, everything I do eventually morphs into a Halloween theme. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, it's going to be about it for this episode. I want to thank uh, Julie Phelan for sharing the knowledge around learning engineering and all the things that we can do to be better at our world. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, share this episode with your friends. If you're following us on, say, iTunes or Stitcher, we'd love to get a review. Let us know how well we're doing. Let us know where there are opportunities where you can do better. It helps us get our name out there and it helps us improve what we do. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Julia. And we're your fabulous learning nerds and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time.
When added into your master schedule, FlexTime enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of FlexTime without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.